Genesis chapter 4. Let's begin at verse 1. Let's read together, shall we? Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. I want to turn right to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll look at just one verse, verse 4, because you know that the Bible is its best commentary on itself. So here's the comment, one of the commentary verses, verse 4 of Hebrews 11. Let's read it. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Now, Lord, I ask you for that special touch that uh, makes preaching easy and powerful, understandable. I ask for that anointing today. And I ask that you not only anoint me to speak, but anoint us to hear what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. Yes, I lift up other life-giving churches to you, and I pray blessing upon them, and I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you, that you draw them to a place of repentance. I pray especially, Lord, for sons and daughters who have wandered away from the faith. Send the Holy Spirit after them in a fresh way, I ask, O Lord. Don't let one of them be lost. I pray this in the only name that matters that matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. By the time the first rays of dawn began to spill over the horizon, the family tent was already buzzing with activity. The much-anticipated day had finally arrived. The harvest was gathered. The young lambs were weaned. All that remained was to bring an offering of thanksgiving and worship to the God who had poured out such abundant blessing. Cain, being a farmer, brought the finest of his fruits and vegetables. As he arranged them on the altar, he did so with a practiced eye and a skillful hand. Each item was ripened to perfection. Every shape and color was meticulously positioned for the most pleasing display. Beside him was the offering of his brother Abel. Abel, a shepherd, brought a slaughtered lamb, the firstborn of his flock. Compared with the artistry of Cain's presentation, 
Abel's looked a bloody mess, literally. Chunks of raw meat, globs of fat. The sight and smell were enough to turn your stomach and make you wish you hadn't eaten quite so much for breakfast that morning. Once the offerings were presented, the brothers waited in silence, almost holding their breath for the Lord's response. To the casual observer, it seemed obvious that the artistic arrangement of Cain was far superior to the bloody offering of Abel. Thus, it took everyone by surprise when the presentation of Cain received not so much as a glance while the Lord turned his full attention to the offering of Abel. Holy fire consumed the sacrifice, signaling that Abel's offering was accepted. Then, just as suddenly as he came, the Lord departed, leaving behind the beautiful display of Cain untouched and undisturbed, and the charred remains of the received and consumed sacrifice of Abel. I suspect that most of you know this story of Cain and Abel. You know of Cain's anger when his offering was rejected, and an anger that burned so hot it ultimately led to him murdering his brother Abel. There are a lot of lessons that can be learned from this story. There's a lesson about appropriate ways to deal with emotions, specifically the emotion of anger. When the Lord approaches Cain concerning the whereabouts of his brother and he responds by saying, am I my brother's keeper? There's a lesson that can be learned about the responsibility to look after and care for one another. This story provides a lesson about the danger of ignoring God's warnings and the consequences of unrighteous actions. But of all the lessons that can be gleaned from this story, the one I want to focus on in the message today is the one concerning acceptable worship. Every time I read this story, I find myself asking, what was it about Abel's offering that earned divine approval And what was it about Cain's offering that incurred divine rejection? Now, for those of you who have been in church for a while, the answer may at first seem obvious. I mean, church people who have read your Bible know that when God instituted the sacrificial system, he insisted that sin offerings be blood sacrifices. However, this explanation about this story isn't without its problems. There seems to be more here than just the contrast between an animal sacrifice and a plant offering. For one, this event occurs before the giving of the law, so at this point there is no stated written mandate about the necessity of a blood offering. In addition, This event doesn't seem to be an occasion where an atonement sacrifice is being offered for sin. Rather, it reads more like a thanksgiving offering. And and even the law, when it was finally given by Moses, the law gave instruction for bringing a sacrificial offering from the harvest of the field. Still, there is something about the offering of Abel 
that caused the Lord to, in the words of verse 4, have regard for Abel and for his offering. And there is something about the offering of Cain that caused the Lord in verse 5 to have no regard for Cain and for his offering. And this is what I want to explore with you today for the next few minutes. Understanding the difference here is what will empower your worship so that it is acceptable to the Lord. Would anybody like for your worship to be an acceptable worship to God? Well, the first thing I want you to see about Abel's offering of worship is that he was present for a prescribed appointment. I'm particularly interested in the words of verse 3 of Genesis chapter 4 that say, so it came about, watch this phrase, in the course of time. There's another translation that says, so it came about at the end of days. And if you're not careful, you'll just read right over that. But this phrase in the Hebrew has the idea of a definite time, kind of like me telling you to be somewhere on Monday afternoon at 3 o'clock. Okay, it's, it's, it's a definite time. This was a designated time, probably at the end of the harvest, when the sons of Adam, now heads of their own families, were called to appear as representatives and priests of their respective families for worship. This was worship at a divinely appointed time in a designated place. When you look into the pages of God's Word, you find that He has always wanted His followers to gather together at specific times and in specific places. In the Old Testament, God commanded His people to get together at specific times for worship in what we know as the Feasts of Israel. Three of those feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, were times when all the males of Israel were required to be in Jerusalem for worship. It was a designated time and place. David sang in Psalm 122 and 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. In Acts chapter 3, the lame beggar who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple was healed as a direct result of Peter and John who were going to the temple at the appointed hour of prayer. The Lord speaks through the writer of Hebrews and says in chapter 10 verse 25 that we are not to forsake the coming together uh, for worship and we are to be all the more diligent about coming together for worship as we approach the end of the age. Now, you listen to your pastor this morning. I know that all of life is to be lived as an expression of worship. And you don't need a church service to engage in worship. I know that there are people who are physically unable to get to the house of the Lord. I know there are emergencies that arise that keep people out of service. I know that the recent pandemic created all kinds of problems with people being able to gather, and we're still trying to learn how to get back together. And I want to say I'm particularly grateful for the technology that has allowed us to get our services to people when they couldn't assemble in-house for worship. I just praise God. It's something God has used and is continuing to use, and I'm thankful for that. So, so when I tell you this, I'm not trying to beat up on you, all right? But I want to tell you, I am trying to challenge you to good works today. 
Worship online is better than nothing, but as good as we try to make it, it's a poor substitute for coming together in God's house with people of like faith. God can meet you wherever you are. But there are some kinds of God encounters that only happen in the company of the saints where two or three are gathered in his name and he is in the midst. Let me just tell you, some of you want a God who fits into your schedule and into your lifestyle. And that isn't real worship. That's having a God of convenience. Just going to let that sit there for a moment. That's having a God of convenience. Real worship is putting God first. Real worship is setting God's way and God's place and God's time as a priority. Real worship is present when God says it's time to worship. I want to say, I've heard it as long as I've been a pastor. People talk about needing family time. And I agree We need family time. But I've seen some of your family time. It's everybody sitting around with your head down and your eyes on your phone screen and your thumbs moving back and forth across the keyboard. Tell me how that is family time. You know it's bad when you're sitting in the same room and you're texting one another. I'm feeling the spirit of meddling coming on me this morning. You know, I just, I want to tell you, I can't think of any better family time than to have the whole family sitting together in the same row in the house of the Lord at the time of worship. I can't think of any better family time than for the children to learn to worship by seeing the example of mom and dad lifting holy hands in the sanctuary. I can't think of any better family time than for parents to teach by their consistent attendance and by their insistence upon getting up and getting ready and getting to the house of the Lord in time for the beginning of the service that God is first in this family because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm just telling you, you need the church, and the church needs you. When we come together, faith is multiplied. When we come together, one person's strength builds up another person's weakness. When we come together, we encourage and help and comfort and affirm one another. Over the course of 65-plus years of living, I've had some powerful spiritual encounters and spiritual moments. But the most dramatic and impactful spiritual marks have been made on my life when I was in church. I was saved as a child in church. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was eight years old in church. My musical gifts were recognized and developed in church. I've been playing the piano for church since I was about 12 years old. 
I've been healed in church. I've received divine revelation in church. I was called to preach in church. I've witnessed miracles in church. I was given a word that helped direct my path to Jacksonville to serve as your pastor in church. And, and I, I, I'm thankful that we can live stream our services for those who are infirm, those who are aged, those who are traveling, for those who are in other parts of the country and even other parts of the world so you can be part of our online congregation, okay? I'm thankful for that. But I want to just say this real, I'll just stand flat-footed and tell you, if you're here in this area and you're able and you're able to go out and about to the store and to the restaurant, and to the birthday party, and to the school, and to the ballpark, and to every other kind of public place, well, when Sunday morning rolls around, you ought to get up, get out of your pajamas, get off the sofa, get out of your lazy boy chair, and get to the house of the Lord, and be here in time for worship. See... There are times when the Lord has a word for your life, but you miss it because you aren't present to receive it. There's an energy in the house that can't be communicated online. There's a spiritual dynamic that occurs when the people of God come together at the appointed time of worship that can't be experienced any other way than in the house of the Lord with others of like faith. Acceptable worship is present for a prescribed appointment. I'll tell you something else about acceptable worship from Abel. Abel possessed a proper attitude. Pay close attention, if you will, to the end of verse 4 of Genesis chapter 4. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. And then the beginning of verse 5 says, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, I, I read those verses for years and missed the emphasis. I was reading the name and the offering as one unit, but it appears to me that they are separate. The Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. The Lord had no regard for Cain and for his offering. The issue doesn't seem to be the offering nearly as much as the men. Do you see that? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 identifies the issue when it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. The offering is simply a reflection of the attitude of the man. So the, the acceptance isn't predicated upon the condition of the sacrifice nearly as much as upon the condition of the man. Let me say it another way. The problem wasn't with the gift. The problem was with the giver. Warren Wearsby said it like this. Cain wasn't rejected because of his offering, but his offering was rejected because of Cain. His heart wasn't right with God. You know, throughout Israel's history, God repeatedly rejected sacrifices because there was something wrong with the giver 
and not because of the gift. This was the message in Isaiah chapter 1. In verse 11, the Lord speaks through the prophet and says, What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. He continues in verse 13 and says, bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. In verses 16 and 17, he says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. The message is very clear. Clean yourself up, get your heart right, then bring your offering. This is the same thing Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. The difference between the offering of Cain and the offering of Abel wasn't so much the difference between plant and animal as it was between the heart condition of the two brothers. And the difference is spelled out in the verse from Hebrews, by faith. See, Cain's sacrifice was all about him, not about faith in God. Cain's sacrifice wasn't a sacrifice of faith because God wasn't the object. Cain was. See, Cain, his offering was the result of his own labors. He had cultivated the field. He had planted the seed. He had tended the plants. He had harvested the crops. It was all about what Cain had done. In the little book of Jude, verse 11, the Bible warns, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. The way of Cain is someone who believes in God, someone who does the religious things about God and worships God, but does it in his own way. The way of Cain is worship out of a sense of duty. It's worship out of compulsion, not joy. It's worship out of ritual, not relationship. It's relying on what you can do for yourself. It's an attempt at salvation by works. The way of Cain is when you come in and you sing the songs and you lift your hands and you pray the prayers, but your mind is thinking about where you're going to eat after the service is over. And you're checking your watch to make sure you're out in time so you don't miss the opening kickoff. And you're focused more on whether you like the style of music than the one being lifted up in the music. And you're more interested in greeting your friends than you are in having an encounter with the Lord of glory. Oh, I'm preaching good right now. The way of Cain is when you look good on the outside, but inside there's strife and there's bitterness and there's envy. 
The way of Cain is when you give your money to reach the lost on the other side of the world, but you won't step to the next cubicle to share the love of Jesus in a tangible way with your coworker that is just as lost as that pagan in a foreign country. The way of Cain is when you listen to the message, but it doesn't move you to a place of accountability and repentance because of the barrier of pride that has been erected in your heart. I'm telling you what God is looking for in some worshipers is, is to have some worshipers like Abel. By faith, Abel brought an acceptable offering of worship. The story in Genesis says in verse 4, Abel on his part also brought, watch this, of the firstlings of his flock. When you worship by faith, that means God is your priority. He's first in your life. That means he comes before your personal preference. And it's not about what you want. It's all about what he wants. It means he comes before your career. It means he comes before your recreation. It means he comes before your goals and your dreams. By faith worship means he gets the best, not the leftovers. See, some of you want to go out partying all Saturday night, and you come dragging yourselves in here on Sunday morning, and you can barely keep your eyes open. And want somebody to, to move you because otherwise you're just going to snooze through the time. You're giving God the leftovers. By faith worship means he gets what's dear and precious to you, not what you can live without. By faith worship means you don't put any confidence in your own abilities. By faith worship means that you continue to trust him even when you don't understand him. By faith worship means you look to him as your source of worth and meaning. You know, a couple of verses later here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God, watch this, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. The prerequisite to pleasing God is faith. And there are two elements of this faith that pleases God. First of all, faith that God is. And I want to say to you, this is the natural response to the revelation of God as I am. When God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush, he says for him to tell the children of Israel that his name is I am. When God reveals himself as I am, faith responds and says God is. Second, faith that God does. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. This is the core tenet of faith. God is and God does. And the ultimate test of faith is when you continue to hold fast to God is, even when he can, but he doesn't. That is faith. And that's the attitude that makes your worship acceptable to God. Abel was present for a prescribed appointment. Abel possessed a proper attitude. There's one more thing I want you to see about this acceptable worship. Abel proclaimed a prophetic announcement. When you think about people in the Bible who are prophets, I dare say that Abel isn't at the top of your list. But according to Jesus, Abel was a prophet. Did you you know that? Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verses 49 through 51. 
For this reason also, the wisdom of God said, I will send, watch this, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and some they will persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. Watch this. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. So here God says, I'll send to them prophets, and he talks about their blood being spilled, and he starts out with from the blood of Abel. Abel is a prophet. Then in Acts chapter 10, Peter is preaching at the house of Cornelius about Jesus. And in verse 43, he says, of Jesus, all the prophets bear witness Watch this, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Jesus said Abel was a prophet. Peter said that all the prophets bear witness that forgiveness of sin comes through believing in Jesus. So Abel is prophesying about the forgiveness of sin that comes through believing in Jesus. The sacrificial offering of a slain lamb that Abel brought in worship pointed to a prophetic anticipation of another sacrificial lamb that was going to be offered as an atonement for the sin of the world. Abel's sacrificial lamb is a prophetic picture of the Lord Jesus, the spotless lamb of God, slain on Calvary's cross to purchase your redemption and to restore you to a right relationship with God. I'm telling you... (laughs) I'm telling you, the blood of the Lord Jesus was not an afterthought. It wasn't an emergency action. Revelation 13 and 8 talks about the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. I'm saying God had the redemption by blood in his heart before the first word of creation was ever spoken. Before he ever hung the world into space, God had redemption by the blood of the Lamb on his mind. Anywhere you cut this Bible, it bleeds. There is a red river of life going from Genesis to Revelation. It begins to flow when God makes clothes from the skin of a slain animal for Adam and Eve. It flows when God calls Abraham to take his son Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. And at the last minute, he substitutes a ram. No wonder Jesus said in John 8 and 56, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Don't you know he was glad that there was a ram caught there for him to offer? The blood flowed when the death angel came to the land of Egypt but he passed over the houses whose doorways were painted with blood. I want to tell you, if they had been, if they had put gold or diamonds or precious gems on the outside of those doors, the death angel would have entered. If they had written beautiful poetry and nailed it to the door, the death angel would have entered. Had they tied a live animal to the doorpost, the death angel would have entered. That angel was looking for one thing and one thing only. He was looking for the blood. Here was his promise in Exodus 12 and 13, when I see the blood, I will pass over you on and on and on. The river of blood flows. There's a reason for all of those sacrifices. Through them, God is pointing toward Calvary. All of the Old Testament sacrifices are types and shadows. Through them, God is conditioning his people. Through those sacrifices, he's letting them know that sin means death. Sin means death. Sin means death. Every time a sacrifice is offered, 
sin means death. They are lessons pointing to Calvary. And by the time Jesus hangs on Calvary's cross, the message is very clear. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. You know, I've heard people say, Jesus is my example. I want to tell you that's not enough. Jesus has to be your Savior. You are not saved by learning lessons from the life of Jesus, but by receiving life from the death of Jesus. That's why we sing around here, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's why we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's why we sing, it reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. That's why we sing, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's why we sing, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee. Oh, Lamb of God, I come. This is the beginning place for acceptable worship. It comes by faith in the blood of Jesus. I want to tell you today there are really only two religions in the world. I know you, some of you are looking at me like, Pastor, you're, you're really out of touch. <laughs> no, there really are only two religions in this world. The true and the false. And the difference between these two is the difference between heaven and hell. The false religion depends on your own abilities. It depends on your own good works. It depends on what you can do for yourself. It depends on the applause of men. It, it depends on the approval of the masses. It's the way of Cain. The true religion is one of faith. Not faith in yourself. Faith in the shed blood of Jesus. True religion is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. Pastor, that sounds awfully narrow. Well, take it up with Jesus. Straight is the way and narrow is the gate, he said, that leads to life. There's not going to be very many that find it. By faith, Abel obtained a testimony that he was righteous. And though he is dead, he still speaks. He proclaims a prophetic announcement that the only way to a right relationship with God, the only way to sins forgiven, the only way to an abundant life, the only way to heaven is by faith in the shed blood of Jesus. He speaks and issues an invitation to come just like you are. Put your faith in the sacrifice of Jesus as your only hope of salvation. That's what I want to do today. I want to invite you to come to Jesus. I'm not inviting you to come to a church. I'm not inviting you to come to a pastor. I'm not inviting you to come to a creed or a doctrine. I'm inviting you to come to Jesus. Surrender your life to him. Lay your pride and your good works in the dust. Put your trust in Jesus alone, and he will save you today. If you're not certain that you're saved, I, I want to lead you in a prayer. And what I want you to know, just repeating words are not going to save you. It requires faith, and it requires a surrender of your life. But this prayer can be a means of expressing that faith. Would you, would you bow with me for just a moment and pray this prayer? I'm going to ask everybody to pray after me. Dear God, Dear 
I'm a sinner and I'm lost. All my good works cannot save me. Thank you that you sent Jesus, a spotless lamb who paid my sin debt with his own blood. I receive you, Lord Jesus, into my heart. I surrender my life to you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive my sin. Save me, Jesus. Amen. I want to tell you today, if you prayed that prayer as a sincere expression of your heart's desire and of your faith in Jesus, not just as a ritual, but as an expression of what's going on in your life, then as an act of faith, why don't you just take a moment and give thanks to the Lord for keeping his promise to save you. You receive it by faith. You receive it by faith. Just thank him for salvation that he's given to you. And then I would say to you, don't keep it to yourself. Make it public. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. Let us know by, by texting the word response to the number that uh, we're going to put up on the screen here in just a moment so we can connect with you, we can pray with you, and we can help get you started in your journey with the Lord. Let us know. We want to help you. My time is up, but can I just take this much longer? Well, I'm going to take it anyway. If you got to go, you got to go. I love you. So, you know. let, me, let me finish by just telling you one more thing about how your acceptable worship that you offer today mirrors that of Abel, and it becomes a prophetic announcement. Your worship offered by faith anticipates a scene that is recorded in Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, set out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Now watch this. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. I'm telling you, your worship here is only a dress rehearsal 
for that time. Your worship here is a prophetic anticipation of the worship you're going to experience in the eternal presence of God. So before we get out of here, could I just invite you to stand and with hands lifted, would you open your hearts and open your mouth and express your worship to Him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb today. Come on, let's worship Him together. Him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. To Him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Be blessing. Be blessing and honor and glory and power Oh! 